You're listening to the podcast, So You Want to Be a Writer, with Valerie Koo and Allison Tate. Valerie is an author, journalist, and national director of the Australian Writers' Centre, which is one of the world's leading providers of online and classroom courses for people who want to get published and write with confidence. Alison Tate is a freelance writer, blogger, and author of the best-selling series, The Mapmaker Chronicles. She has more than 20 years' professional writing experience. Each week, they explore the world of writing, publishing, and blogging to bring you news and opportunities, advice on how to succeed in the world of writing, interviews with top writers, and much more. With students enrolling from all over the world, you can find out more about the Australian Writers' Centre at writerscentre.com.au. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 66 of So You Want to Be a Writer. My name's Valerie Koo and I'm here with Alison Tate. How are you, Al? Um, I'm extremely well, thank you, Valerie. I've just returned from a nice walk in the sunshine with Prue Crusty Pop. Lovely. Who uh, got himself a bit of love all over town. He's got quite the fan club, old Prue Crusty Pop. He's, yes. uh, he's also a total tart and <laughs> likes to throw himself at everyone he meets. Um, so, no, we've had, a, we've had a, very nice, a very nice morning. And I am, of course, back after my epic trip to Ipswich last week. Last week. Um, wow. So yeah, I'm kind of happy to be back at my desk just, you know, in my little quiet room doing my thing. It's, it's, um, it's good. Well, I think I'm actually an introvert, really. What? Where did that come from? I don't know. I just randomly, I, I, I think that I present as an extroverted person, but I think I'm actually someone who would rather be alone. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Well, you and ProcrastiPub can be alone together, but speaking of ProcrastiPub, oh, uh, yes. depending on when listeners are actually listening to this podcast, the 26th of June is actually um, Bring Your Dog to Work Day. Oh, but you, you have go. that day every day. I bring, really. I bring him to work every day. <laughs> oh dear! So will you be taking the uh, taking the dogs to work? Very likely. I mean, they they're in uh, they're they in the office in anyway, don't they? Yeah, they're in the office yeah. at the Australian Writers Centre today, and they come in uh, often. They've got their little doggy beds. There's you know they know their boundaries when they're at work. They get a little bit excited when the courier comes. Oh, I'm sure they do. Yeah, do they enjoy the harbour views? I'm they sure they do enjoy the harbour views. <laughs> <laughs> and the pampered walks and the pooches. Park, they are yes, pampered pooches. Um, so they it, it is regularly take the dog to work day uh, here at the Australian Writers Centre. But let us move on to yes. this week's news in the world of writing and publishing and blogging. I have a quiz for you. Oh gosh! <laughs> awesome. This, okay. This is from this is from PR Daily, and the quiz is what kind of word nerd. Are you? Mm-hmm. Mm. So I'm going to ask you some questions. So listeners, you can answer those questions in your head as you Talk hear them. Pop quiz. You didn't warn me about this. I would have studied, you know. It's, I would have been not, ready. It's not about studying. Okay. It's about behaviour. Number one, do you subscribe to one or more style guides or have one or more style guides on your desk? I have one or more on my desk. Yes. Okay. So do I. Number two, do you catch typos all around you even when you're not looking for them? Yes. 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 Me too, especially on Fox Sports. Um, they, they're, they're on there all the time. Do you <laughs> find yourself correcting the grammar in the books you read to your kids? Yes. Ah, there you go. I don't read books to kids, so I guess technically that's a no. Mm. Can you quote from Eats, Shoots and Leaves? No. Mm, okay, you can, no. can't you? 
no, no, I can't, I can't. Okay. Um, have you had more than one heated argument about the use of the serial comma? Yes, <laughs> I have. <laughs> Does seeing 1990s as in 1990 apostrophe S or 1930s, as in 3-0 apostrophe S, drive you to drink? Yes. Oh, absolutely yes for me Drives as well. Me mad. I love yep. the little, you know, delete symbol. I just delete, delete, <laughs> yep. Do you feel an immediate sense of camaraderie with anyone who uses comprise correctly? Yes. Yes. I do. <laughs> Can you spell... I'm starting to sound very nerdy here, Valerie. Okay, keep going. Can you spell minuscule inadvertent, supersede an ophthalmologist correctly? Yes. <laughs> yes. Is the hyphen your least favourite punctuation mark? Uh, no. No, me either. That's no. a weird one. I'm actually quite partial to a hyphen. <laughs> yeah, me too. Yeah. Do you use the word decimate correctly? I don't know. Ah. Do you use the word decimate correctly? I do. Do you want to use it correctly and I'll tell you if I use it correctly? Okay. So um, the, the, all of the trees on the side of the ma- mountain were decimated. But do you know yeah. what that means? Yeah, like laying over, completely destroyed. No, reduced oh. to one-tenth. Oh, then I don't use it correctly. Mm. <gasps> I'm a fail on the decimate. Mm. So they, one they, tenth only. Yeah, like destroyed, but reduced to one tenth. There's like decimate, like, like, like you know, as in o- other words, like decade. decade. Ten. Okay, <laughs> I get it. I'm on it. All right. Do well, you giggle? I've been outed. <laughs> do you giggle when you end a sentence with a preposition and know why it's acceptable to do so? <laughs> uh, now you're getting into really, really sadly nerdy territory. Um, no, I can't. I can't say I giggle. No. Okay. Do you? Sometimes. Do people refuse to? Do people refuse to play words with friends or scrabble with you? Yes, but you know what? I don't think that they should because if it, when it comes right down to it, words with friends and particularly Scrabble, um, I've got friends who absolutely annihilate me in Scrabble and it's not because they know better words than me. It's because they, have, they think more mathematically than I do. Strategy. It's yeah. a strategy game and I think mm. that, that, that people need to actually recognise that, that it's really, it's about as much, it's as much where you put those letters as it is what words you pull out. So I just, you know, don't be scared, that's all I'm saying. Yeah, right. Well, okay. people aren't, don't refuse to play with me because I don't play words with friends very often. Um, oh. But you, yours is eight. So as eight, you're a See, word. See, I'm only moderate. Yeah, word nerd moderate. But you would be word nerd elite. No, I'm not. I'm less than you because I didn't no. do the Scrabble one. Really? Hmm. There you go. We're not as nerdy as you think we are, people. There you go. There you go. But we'll put the link in the show notes if you want to uh, quiz some of your friends on what kind of nerd word they are. And if you are a word nerd elite, then you should um, please tweet us or something and let us know because, you know, we like to hang out with elite personnel. <laughs> yes. Don't we? Yeah. We do. But let's move on to our next very different link and it is actually from a uh, pro blogger because the uh, pro blogger um, – 
you know, uh, conference is coming up in August. And what they've done is they've done a post about their speakers and their speakers share their morning routine. And I always think it's interesting to, you know, listen to or read about other people's morning routines to see whether mine's really whacked or not. Um, And the interesting part of that, and it lists people like, you know, Heather Armstrong, who has the blog deuce.com and, you know, Kelly Exeter. Hi, Kelly. And um, Brendan Cowan and Pamela Wilson from Copy Blogger Media. But what astounded me by this was Kelly Exeter mm-hmm. wakes up at 4.10 a.m. every single day. Oh She's kind of mad, God. though, if you met her. <laughs> yeah. Hi, Kelly. We love you. We love you, Kelly. She's very routine-based and she's very um, organised and very she's organized. very goal-orientated and she's quite amazing. Um, yes, I love amazing. Kelly. She's one of my... One of my personal bloggy faves. But, yes, uh, yeah, so 4.10 is really 4, a little bit nuts, Cal. And, and, you know, she's also a presenter at the Australian Writers' Centre. And at first I thought, my God, she must be the only crazy person waking up at 14am. And then I read that Ruth Sukup, who is from the blog livingwellspendingless.com, also wakes up at 4am. Who are these people? And she goes I... for a quick 15-minute run at that oh. hour. Dear God. Oh. Yes, I know. But lots of people try to get their exercise in in the morning. My routine looks more like Heather Armstrong's routine, mm-hmm. which is involving snooze buttons and <laughs> children out of the house, um, you know, with their teeth brushed and their shoes on. Mm-hmm. Um, so mine looks a little bit more like that one, I think. Mornings are um, kind of crazy around here. What about you? What, what do you do in the morning? Um, I wake up. And then my cat Rex knows that uh, I've woken up and he comes and he sits on me for a while. So we just commune for a little bit. Mm. And during that time, my partner brings me a coffee, which is very nice of him. And then I I sit there and I have my coffee and I commune with Rex and everything is right with the world for that period. Oh, well, that's nice. I'm looking at at Kaz Makepeace. She spends the first 20 to 60 minutes of each morning meditating. I know. And then she reads an inspiring positive message for the day. Yeah. Which, you know, sounds like a really nice way to start the day. But I Very zen. Very zen. Well, that's kind of like my time with Rex. That's true. You are meditating with Rex and communing. You are communing with nature. Now, the next big news of the week is that E.L. James is writing a new book. And, of course, we know that E.L. James is the powerhouse behind the juggernaut that is Fifty Shades of Grey, the Fifty Shades of Grey trilogy, in fact. And also she recently published Grey, which is told from the point of view of Christian Grey. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, yeah, she is writing another book, so... Goodness me, it's going to... So is it going to be more grey stuff or is it going to be a completely new thing? This is a very good question. Um, it's, I don't know. I don't think there's the a details lot of yet, about it. Mm. The details of which have yet to be revealed. Yes. So mm. we'll see. Who is knows? she working on the burning question? Is she working on a fifth book in the series, creating new fictional characters, and will it be more of the same? That's the question. Mm. But I have to say that I'm more excited about the news that J.K. Rowling, a.k.a. Robert Galbraith, has a new book coming out in October 2015 mm. called Career of Evil, um, a Cormoran Strike novel. And I have to say I've enjoyed the first two books in that Cormoran Strike series um, greatly. And The Silkworm... Um, has just been long listed for the CWA Gold Dagger Award. So if you've if you haven't read the J.K. Rowling 
crime fiction mm. written under the name Robert Galbraith. Have a have a go at it. It's it's page turning. It's really really good. I really enjoy it. Wow. So that's that's way more exciting for me. I have to say than <laughs> yeah. I wasn't excited Great. by the fact that that E.L. James is really oh, sure. another Fifty Shades of Grey. I was just, just another one I of just... your word nerdy secrets, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> All right. Well, no, speaking of word nerdy secrets, I believe you have another word nerdy book for us this week. Yes. It's a new book and it's coming out uh, in Australia and it's called Modern Australian Usage. A Practical Guide for Writers and Editors by Nicholas Hudson. It's actually the third edition, but it's quite a handy uh, book that has – it has sort of the basic things like, you know, do you spell complimentary this way or do you spell complimentary, you know, that way. So it's got those sorts of basic things, but Mm. it's also got um, different uh, um, definitions like what is a Balmain basket weaver? Mm. Do you know? No. So I bet you're going to tell me, though, aren't you? (laughs) The entry says, It would be sad if this term of abuse for leftish elites were to be forgotten. It is perhaps the greatest lexical contribution of the noted Bankstown banker, Paul Keating. Ah, I was going to say... Wasn't he also Banana Republic and stuff, though? So he had a few. He had a few. He had a few to add to our lexicon, did he not? Exactly. He certainly did. All right. So that sounds like it would be a useful book for writers and freelance writers and all manner of personnel. Yeah. Definitely. Has it joined the collection on your desk? It certainly has. It is on my desk. And it'll be interesting to see how um, frequently I refer to it because it is a new book. Um, You know, one that I do refer to a lot and any freelance writers out there should get it is actually the Fairfax Media Style Guide. And you can buy it like in bookshops or order it from bookshops, like 40 bucks or something. And it's Mm. certainly a handy one if you are contributing to newspapers and magazines because many of them follow that style guide. Hmm. All right. Well, let's move on a little bit to some blogging um, content yes. for our podcast. Um, that was an excellent segue, wasn't yes. it? It was just <laughs> flowing there. I was, just, I was on a just roll. Fantastic. Just going nuts. Okay. Um, so there was a post that, was, um, that I discovered via Twitter this week. Um, the tweeting of the archives can be a beautiful thing, and I think that that's uh, mm. something that a lot of bloggers can probably – um, make more use of, like use Buffer or Hootsuite or something like that to to oh, yes. um, to air your archives, to get some of those older posts out into the into breathe fresh life into them. Um, but this particular one was written by Stacey Roberts, who's the managing editor at ProBlogger.net, mm. um, and it was called Three Ways Scheduling Will Make or Schedule. Do you say schedule or schedule? Oh no, no I say schedule. Schedule, okay. Mm. Three ways, because I used to be a scheduler, but now I've mm. discovered I'm a scheduler. Yeah. Um, Three-way scheduling will make you a better blogger. And it's quite an interesting uh, post. It talks about – because I think people think that if you schedule uh, blog posts or tweets or anything like that, that it makes you less, you know, inspirational and authentic and organic and all of those things. But as Stacey points out in this post, it actually – allows you it allows you to batch your writing of blog posts mm. giving you more time to kind of get things done um it she says it gives you more flexibility because we can't sit on the internet all day and respond to things in real time we can't you know mm. we can't sort of go oh it's 10 a.m i've got to write my blog post now um because you know people want to read things at different times and i used to i used to when i wrote life in a pink fibro i used to publish every morning at 6 a.m mm. and 
I can tell you that I was not up at 6am pressing the publish <laughs> button. I was, um, I was scheduling those posts because um, it, it allows you to make more time in your day to get things done. Mm. So um, the other thing she says is that it will actually make you more present which I found quite an interesting point. But she says the beauty of scheduling means you can blog without actually physically being present. But the times when you are online, you can be fully present. So you schedule your posts and they all go up whenever. But if you've got 10 minutes in the day, you can be online, on Twitter, on Facebook, answering comments on your blog, actually being there in real time. So anyway, I just thought I would point that out and I think it's a really great idea. She has some great tips here for ways to get started with scheduling your work and I just, um, if you are a blogger, it's definitely worth having a look at. I mean, you would use scheduling, Val, yeah? Um, I go through periods where I do schedule and during those times I feel really organised. and my, Yeah, my stress levels are reduced significantly but then I fall yeah. off the wagon yeah, and I'm suddenly scrambling and, I'm, and, and I, even though I get them out, the level of stress in thinking, oh, my God, I've got to write this now is um, not ideal. So, no. yes, scheduling is a good idea and if I could only have more discipline to do it all the time, that would be good. It goes along with having an editorial plan for your blog, which I must confess I've never had and often wished I would have so that I wasn't sitting there, you know, even, I mean, it was, as I said, it used to be easier when I was blogging every day because I would Mm. just write about whatever came to my head at 10 o'clock at night. Mm. But now that I only do it for a couple of times a week at most, um, I'm sitting there thinking I've got to, you know, I've got to make the most of it and I've got to, I've got to give good value and it's got to be useful and then I get myself stressed and, and it's actually harder to blog like that. So oh, yeah. maybe I need a plan and a schedule and that will make my life better. If only we could be more like Nicole Avery from Planning with Kids who has an editorial plan and scheduled out for the whole year. I know, she's, she's amazing. <laughs> she's absolutely amazing. She's and speaking amazing. of amazing, Val, who mm-hmm. is our writer in residence this week? Our writer in residence is actually our editor in residence this week because this week we spoke to Brandon Vanover, who is the managing editor of Penguin Random House. Oh. Yeah, so he has been with, uh, you know, Random House for 10 years and, you know, as of course it recently became Penguin Random House. And um, he started off as an editorial assistant and he's always loved words because he's actually from America and when he was in the States he worked for a literary agent. Um, And then he came here, became an editorial assistant and is now, um, you know, uh, gone up the career ladder and uh, to become managing editor. So he manages a team of five editors and I thought it would be really interesting to to talk to Brandon because we often hear from the author's point of view and sometimes authors are a bit scared to work with editors because mm-hmm. they fear what the editors are going to come back with. So I thought it would be useful to get Brandon's point of view on uh, the editing process, what actually happens and how he deals with authors. So let's have a listen to Brandon. Brandon Vanover is the managing editor at Penguin Random House Australia, where he's worked since 2004. He edits a wide variety of authors in all genres across both the adult and children's list. Some of the authors he's worked with include the celebrated novelists Richard Flanagan and Roger MacDonald, Australia's number one best-selling authors in non-fiction and fiction, 
Peter Fitzsimons and Judy Nunn, world champion surfers Tom Carroll, Lane Beachley, Mick Fanning and Mark Ocalupo, Guantanamo prisoner David Hicks and children's and YA book authors Deb Abella and Belinda Murrell. Originally from the Blue Ridge Mountains of Virginia, he now lives with his wife and two children in Sydney with no plans to go home. Thanks for joining us today, Brandon. Oh, well, thanks for, uh, yeah, thanks for having me on. Well, now, you're the managing editor of Random House. So, for people who aren't familiar with that term, what does that actually mean? And so how would you describe what you do? Mm. Um, well, I'm in charge. So, so we have a, we have a team of uh, publishers. And when they acquire a book and uh, go through the acquisitions process, then um, once, once the contract is signed, then uh, it's my job to um, allocate those uh, those books to our team of uh, five editors here, and um, uh, just make sure that uh, the publishing um, schedule is is um, is delivered every year. So, so we have titles each month, and you know, big uh, whether it's Father's Day or Mother's Day or Christmas, you know, to make sure that those big dates are are all hit. And um, but I also edit edit a full a full load myself. Um, yeah, so it's a combination of managing and, um, and, and, and actually doing the day-to-day things that the other editors do as well. Yeah. Did you always want to be an editor? Um, I, uh, no, I actually <laughs> wanted to teach English in, uh, in uh, high school, and, um, but I went to New York and went to a, um, uh, the New York um, University publishing program and, uh, and uh, yeah, was was got a job with the literary agency and was was just answering phones and you know, but but working with the uh, agents and they would give me manuscripts to kind of read and assess and then I started representing a few authors and and I realized that I was I was a terrible salesman <laughs> I couldn't sell books um, or, or my feelings would get hurt if an editor didn't didn't uh, want to make a fabulous offer on a book so I. Um, uh, kind of knew my strength was always editorial, and then when I moved to Australia from New York, um, I got a job as editorial assistant at Random House, and yeah, I've I've I've, uh, uh, I've always wanted to, um, I've always been um, attracted to working with authors in the creative process, and you know you you know I think we all you know read read Kerouac and was angsty and wanted to write ourselves, so you know you. Uh, you uh, dabbled in your own writing, and you know that's just the world that I, you know, that I kind of inhabited. And then, you know, I get glimpses. I'll be working next to the Coke Building, and um, you know, I see, you know, I see those people, and I've been in those discussions before. And I, I don't think I could work in another environment. You know, I don't think, uh, <laughs> I don't think I'd last a second at Coke or anywhere else. Uh, that you know, that wasn't as not saying Coke isn't creative, but you know, but this is, uh, you know, walking the halls here, and you, you know, you come in, and you see David Malouf sitting with the publisher, or um, you know, Tom Keneally walks through the door like these are, you know, I'm still wowed by it. Mm-mm. What do you find appealing about the process of editing? What's rewarding about it? Um, it's rewarding to be, uh, if you love and admire writing, writing and writers, um, you know, to be, you know, to be involved in that process and to actually take a manuscript that's, um, you know that you know that isn't quite there yet, or far from there yet, and to work with an author um, to ask the right questions, hopefully, 
and just to think through a book. You know, I think a lot of people think of the editor as the taskmaster, but it's really it's really the conversation of asking asking good questions to help an author reach you know reach their reach their goal you know and the goal is the you know a fully realized book that makes sense within itself that is coherent and uh hopefully beautiful um even if it's about you know i've just worked on a book on golden prison which you know you're not going to try to you know extract too much beauty from that (laughs) but uh you, you know but you know but within you know the rules of you know, a book on Golden Prison, you know, you need to, you know, it needs to be coherent, and, you know, and fully realized. So, um, yeah, it's just, it's just taking it from the idea, you know, and, you know, certainly as an editor, you, you're, you know, you're putting in commas and, you know, thinking through the syntax and, but, um, you know, it's this kind of early stages where you're uh, less of a taskmaster and more of a, uh, you know, more of just a conversation, um, more of a conversation with, you know, with the person who's who's trying to do something special. So when you're having that conversation, because you said you sometimes have manuscripts that are far from there yet, mm. do you ever feel for the ones that are far from there, like, oh, mm. where do I start? Like, is this going to be possible? Yeah, well, it's, it's uh, you know, having said that, you know, in order to make it through the acquisitions process, and, you know, the publishers are great, and, you know, and that they do a lot of upfront work with authors, Um so, so, uh, but, but, but having said that, when, it, you know, the where do I start? It's you break, you know, you know, we do a structural edit, you know, the big, you know, the big ticket items, the English 101 things, um, you know, voice, character, uh, chronologies, you know, is this chapter starting five chapters too late or five chapters too early? You know, you're kind of breaking it down to its um, principal parts, and. Um, you know, I think on one part you treat it clinically almost like a mechanic or, or you know, um, um, you know, you distance yourself emotionally from it and try to see it as a, as almost a physical thing that's like a, inside of a watch that's ticking over. And then, um, and then uh, you know, because there's plenty of time later for you to kind of fall in love with bits and, you know, really, really get emotional about things and jump up on a couch like Tom Cruise or whatever, you know, that you... Um, yeah, but I think initially it's that it's that uh, diagnostic kind of look at a book. Mm. Do you focus on a particular genre or type of book in your editing load? Um, I don't, um, only because you know I think as a a young male American, you know, you know, starting in Australia, that it was, um, yeah, you know, kind of a, you know, sport and. Nonfiction, but um, I worked for a children's agent in New York, so I started out with a lot of uh, kids' books, and, and and so I edited across across the whole range. You know, it's just that you know I've been at Random House for eleven years now, so you know the level of you know the degree of difficulty goes up. You know, with working with someone like Peter Fitzsimons and um, on his books, it you know there's there's they're gigantic, and um, there's a lot of moving parts and a lot of research that goes into it, and um, in notes and making sure that everything is accurate and so so you know I get you know certainly those you know those you know those big titles um, but but fiction literary fiction um, no I, I you know I kind of do it all which is great and I think all all, all of our editors that's the aim um, is is that people are um, all rounders and because uh, I think you kind of need to be and if you have an, a strong editorial sensibility I think you can apply that mm. to um, 
you know, to a lot of different genres. But of course, you know, I think everyone fell in love with book publishing because they loved literary fiction and those, mm. you know, most people. Um, so I think that's kind of the goal of editors here, you know, is to work on, um, you know, uh, literary fiction and, you know, you know, the biggies, the Gail Joneses of the world and the Richard Flanagan's and Roger McDonald's. Do you find fiction or nonfiction easier to edit in a sense? Um, oh, wow. It's, it's kind of different, uh, slightly different parts of your brain. But, you know, I think fiction's tough because, you know, you're kind of treading on sacred ground with, um, you know, something that often authors have been working for eight years on something and mm. it's high, you know, they're highly connected to it. It's, you know, it might be fiction, but, you know, there's also a lot of, you know, there's often a lot of them in there and, mm. um, and it, it doesn't play by the same rules. You can't slap a style guide onto it. <laughs> you need to be, um, you know, you need to be really flexible and, um, and, uh, also it's, it's, you're dealing with, I don't want to say nonfiction isn't creative, but you're dealing with, more, you know, more of a, a volatile creativity. Mm. You know, and by volatile, I don't mean people throwing things, but you know, something it's not stable. It's it's it's, and often there's kind of no absolute right answer. Like even you know, you, you know, someone was either born in 1895 or they weren't. Mm. Um, but uh, here it's like, well, maybe you know, have you thought about that character being born in 1895 or something, or, you know what I mean? Like it's, it's, yeah, it is a bit, you know, I find it personally, um, a bit, uh, a bit tougher, a bit more sensitive. So when a manuscript first lands on your desk, you said the first thing you try to do is a little bit clinical, that's diagnostic approach. Can you, is it almost, is it a step-by-step diagnostic approach? I mean, do you, can, do yeah. you, can you take us through it briefly? Um, yeah, sure. I, um, when I first, in, you know, my, my you know, I mean, this is not representative of, of, of a, uh, of a publishing course or what the other editors do, but I, I get a big piece of art paper out and actually kind of draw it almost, um, um, with, with, uh, um, you know, with, you know, break it down to themes or, 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 where things happen, and then try to piece it together there. I, you know, I think if I can see it, um, I can think my way through it. Um, and uh, you know, and then you kind of giving yourself time as well, because once you read something, um, you're thinking through things, and you, you you want to take notes. You know, there's also a reading where you let it kind of just wash all over you to get your general impressions. But yes. um, but. Uh, you know, reading through it that second time and actually taking notes and you kind of feel your way through it. And, 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 and editing is a lot about gut and you kind of know when, you know, you know, when things aren't working or, or where holes are. So, you know, not that I would rate certain chapters, but I would kind of establish in my mind that, you know, chapter three was, was kind of the, the benchmark of what, of what we need to get the other chapters up to. And then you can kind of, from there, you see the, maybe the deficiencies of other chapters. Um, and I think as I as I kind of draw this out, um, I should probably burn those drawings. Let's <laughs> um, anybody, yeah, get a hold of them. Uh, but you know, but it's it's yeah, it's helpful for me. An English teacher once said, um, "How do I know what I think until I see what I say?" You know, that to actually have it down, you know, have it down there helps me. You know, helps me think it through. When you are dealing with authors after you've, you know, mapped that out and you've written your notes and you've given them feedback, 
how do they typically react? I mean, you've been doing it for 11 years, so I'm sure you've seen the gamut, but are they mm. open to suggestions or are there ones that are very precious about their work? Well, it's it's both, and I think um, I, I I like to ask more questions than I don't. And, uh, you know, I think if they see that I'm thinking through something with the same kind of energy that they're putting into their writing, um, you know, I don't want to be this gadfly in the margin of their work, you know, kind of always saying, well, this is what I'm thinking, you think about this, you know. But, but I do think that to err on the other side where you just – run roughshod over, you know, imposing your editorial will without saying anything, um, you know, because now all the edits are done digitally um, on screen, that uh, the risk of offending someone is a lot greater if they're just going to see your intervention with you actually not having that conversation either. You know, but speaking on the phone is also great because, you know, when you have a have a uh, you know a human on the other end um, you know and that's why you know the great thing about Random House is that we you know we we try to publish it or or edit in house as much as we can rather than kind of project managing and freelancing things out so you know so, so that that conversation is happening but no I mean people can be it's it's you know you're always polite and diplomatic but you know they're you know it's you know I don't think there's ever a real appropriate time to kind of raise your voice because it's not that kind of uh, you know, it's not that kind of industry, and you know, you know, and if if you, you know, I mentioned sacred ground, but you are kind of trotting on sacred ground, and I think if you have that, um, have that kind of respect and uh, discipline, and realize what your role truly is, you know, and you know, as as, as just asking the right questions, guiding, maybe opening up a line, you know, I still offer very definite plot suggestions, you know, and that you know, if I offer five. Maybe they'll take one, or maybe they'll say those five stink. And um, but but it made me think of option six. Right. You know. Um, you know. But sure, you can. I mean, I've never I've never had a uh, an altercation or any. You know. But you know. You know. But I think because I can't. You know. I'm American. Mm-hmm. You know. I. You know. I feel. You know. I feel. Uh, mm-hmm. You know. Like I would talk to someone at a at a bar. I almost feel like the outsider. Or you know. You kind of want to. Yeah. You know, the rules are in place, and, you know, I think here, you know, and I want to, uh, you know, I want to be appropriate. Have you ever had situations where the author has flat out refused to change something for whatever reason, and yeah. you've thought, you know, and, the, and it's gone out that way, and you've thought, oh, it could have been better? No? For sure. Um, and I think as a younger editor, I would, uh, you know, if, if they came back and said, uh no, no, I think it's fine as it is. Um, I would just say, okay, okay, you know, it's thanks. Um, but now I'm kind of more, um, more inclined to go back and say, you know, I've, you know, I've really, you know, I've continued to think about this, and you know, um, and I really feel like this X is letting is letting the book down, and you know, for these reasons, I think if you build a case, if you make an intelligent case for something, it's kind of hard to argue with. Yes. Um, as long as it's intelligent, not just because, you know, <laughs> you know, that's kind of the trick about this whole thing. You wouldn't last a day if you didn't make yes. an intelligent argument. Um, but no, I mean, certainly, God, I, yeah, there was one book in particular that um, I was kind of three years in, and, and, and I just knew that this scene was wrong, and it was, it was fiction. And um, obviously, you know, the author had made this 
side trip to where the scene was placed and was really grafted to it, but it made it, it actually contributed nothing. And I went back and think it should be removed. No, it's going to stay. Um, and then it came back, and you know, next thing you know, my um, you know, it's reviewed and uh, say, so, yeah, you know, this book. God, what, what, you know, what the hell was this scene doing there? That made no sense. It even said if this book had a had a had a uh, had a um, an editor worth its weight, you know, mm-hmm. it, it could be, it could have been good. And I'm thinking, oh God, I'm never going to work in this town again. <laughs> you know, it's, it was one of those kind of moments where maybe I should do something else, really. Oh no, <laughs> I, I mean, I think editors are so they just add so much to the writing process and are such a valuable part of it. And in fact, um, I've, I've never told you this and I've never really said this out loud, but your wife, <laughs> yeah. who is an editor but in the magazine um, world, for listeners who don't know, uh, used to edit me like 10 years ago and I, my writing was just so much better for it because of her. So, but, She's good. She's yeah, good. She's very good. So... <laughs> So many authors I speak to, though, they really fear the editing process, the new authors. And mm. what do you say to them? Um, I think it's something that they should – well, obviously it's something that they should embrace because um, y- you, you're you so close to your own work that, um, you know, you're often – scared to even send it out as an attachment on an email you know you you know you feel so close to it you know the fact that someone else is reading it but you know i think if you uh it's the feedback you need to um because this is something that i do every day and 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 uh really you know really take seriously and that you know to, uh, to answer it another way is that you know i think the problem with some manuscripts is that they're workshopped to death, mm-hmm. you know, is that they go through kind of writing groups and, you know, but even though that's not strictly, you're, you're not working with an editor, but you're kind of editing, you know, you, you're receiving editorial feedback that you're probably comfortable with because it's, you know, Sue down the street or, yes. you know, Dan from university, you know, that, um, and they'll give you kind of uh, different opinions and, you know, often conflicting opinions or vanilla opinions and, mm-hmm. And then uh, next thing you know, you've ripped out all of the original, the originality out of the manuscript. You know, and that's one of those things. Like you know, I often say that you know, I, I you know, I like just getting exactly you know what you did um, in its unvarnished self. You know, um, you know, because there's a lot of kind of originality and spirit and intention that's in that original manuscript that is often kind of sucked out. You know, through a um, through, sorry, I don't want to back out writers' groups or anything, but you know, cause it's you know it's really it's a community and it's it it it, it definitely has its purpose. But um, but you know it's just funny that you know that a lot of people embrace that process, but once they work with an editor, but it's it's you know it's uh, you know editor you know being an editor is a you know is is you know it's a trade it's a, it's, it's something that you hone over time and it's a, I was going to say craft, but I've didn't want to sound like an idiot, but yeah, it's a craft. It is. It truly is. And, you know, that you, uh, it can really, yeah, it can really take your manuscript to places that you, you know, that you hadn't imagined maybe, or, yeah, help you find your own voice within, you know, within yourself and your writing. 
for an author who has written their manuscript but has yet to submit it to a publisher, and, you know, they obviously want to submit the best version they can, of, of course, what are your comments or opinions on whether they should send it to a, a, an editor, like a freelance editor, before they send it to a, a publisher? Yeah, no, I don't think that's, um, I don't think it's always necessary. Um, you know, that again, like a, sometimes it can be a hindrance uh, in that it gives, you know, it gives it maybe a false sense of validation almost um, that you feel like maybe your book is already edited. So I don't need, I don't need uh, feedback from a publisher or, or an editor in a publishing house. Um, God, you know, really. I'm, I know, I'm, I do. Well, I'm, I'm sounding like a gatekeeper or something, but <laughs> you know, no one needs to see it except for the publisher and the publishing house. But um, yeah. Yeah. Do you, have you had manuscripts delivered to you that require hardly any edits? Has that ever happened? Like, are they typically from experienced uh, authors, or you mm. know, just magically this is an amazing writer? Absolutely. Um, like I, I have. Uh, you know, and you know, we're talking about some, you know, some, uh, you know, really accomplished people that, like Roger McDonald, is someone who, um, you know, his 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 books are are, you know, they seem to come fully formed. He does a lot of, you know, he does work with his publisher Meredith Kernow. Um but you know, often when it comes to me, I'm I'm kind of shuffling. I'll put in a comma and you know sit there and think about it, and then I'll take it out again and realize it was, um, you know, it's you know, some people are just really. Uh, you know, I think of it in terms of like marathon runners. You know, that you know, there's a lot of people who can run a marathon, yeah. and gut their way through it and drag themselves across the finish line. But you know, there are people who finish it, you know, in record times and look beautiful doing it and uh, hardly break a sweat. Um, you know, and that there are, you know, it's yeah, it, it, in because I work at a larger publishing house, um, you know, you do get to work with some of the best mm. um, out there. Yeah, but. You know, generally, but you know, there are people who, even even those greats, love the editorial process. Yeah. You know, so I think if, you know, if they embrace it, then I think everybody can. You know? Yeah. And I mean, it's because they embraced it in their early years they they got to where they are now. <laughs> For sure. For sure. <laughs> can you give people finally just an idea of the timeline of an editing process? Like, how, when you first get it, how long does it take you to do a structural edit, edit, and then how long does it do you leave the author to fix stuff, and then how long do you edit the next stage? You know, that sort of thing. Yeah, it's um, generally. Uh, all things being equal, like if, 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 you know, if you're trying to maybe rush a book to meet a, a certain, a certain, you know, Christmas, for instance, um, that, you know, a structure that it might take, it might take, um, a couple of weeks, two weeks, um, three, uh, and then, well, if you, you know, do, are you doing it full time? Is that, you know, do no, you, you are doing work? other things. Yeah. You know, you, you know, you, you might be working on five books at yeah. the same time, but they're all, you know, one's at page proofs, one's, you know, proofreading and, you know, at different stages, but yeah, uh, you know, I think you generally allow yourself about that much time, and then you know, the you know, the author, depending on the amount of work required, will go away um, for maybe you know a month or you know two months, maybe um, yeah. if 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 we have that kind of luxury, mm-hmm. uh, and then yeah, it resubmit the manuscript, and it might need another you know more structural notes before you can even think about copy editing something, um, but you know, it's kind of that inverted 
pyramid. You know, you're honing it down, and then, um, you know, a copy edit might take, uh, you know, three three weeks. Um, and then the author will have, you know, generally two to three weeks to review that, and he comes back, and then, and then, you know, the fun starts where you uh, design the book, and it goes into typesetting, and then the author gets page proofs, and they'll have two, you know, two, two to three weeks to look over that. Um, so, you know, you you definitely have multiple looks at it, yes. at, at you know, at different stages, you know, but time being ideal, you know, I mean, that's a general time frame, but then, you know, sometimes you need to. Uh, you know, you never want to treat a um, treat a book rudely by rushing it through, but sometimes mm-hmm. that's a reality. And um, but hopefully, you know, you don't compromise, you know, the quality of your edit. Uh, and, you know, if you, if you're editing it at three o'clock in the morning, you're probably not doing your best work. No. <laughs> yeah. So on that point, then just take us through what your typical day might look like, because it sounds like there's a lot of words on screen <laughs> involved, but. Yeah, give us an idea of what your typical day looks like. Yeah, it's um, you know we we have the standard meeting, so we have you know an acquisitions meeting that I sit in on where we discuss you know proposals that have come through. So that's one thing. Then the others, we get together each week and discuss proposals that are you know have come in but have not yet gone to acquisitions. So that um, which is good, you know, the editor, uh, the, you know, the editorial always has a voice throughout the process. It's not just hey we acquired this. Mm go away and make it a book. Um, but we contribute so we have those meetings. And uh, But, you know, now that you know, we have an open plan office now, um, so we all, all the editors sit in a pod, so we're all cranking away, um, working on uh, either editing or, or um, working on page proofs, taking in, uh, corrections from proofreader, or we also um, work with, uh, you know, cover, design, blurbs, um, Proofreading, uh, kind of in-house material as well. Mm-hmm. So uh, you know, e- we we Q and A uh, e-books. So each e- each of our books has a has a digital has a digital life as well. So which you know I think is good as well. Like, like if you put all this work into the physical copy of a book and its look and its feel, you know, to actually have fidelity across you know across to the e-book mm-hmm. um, is uh, I think is beneficial. But yeah, no, it's it's yeah, it's just a lot of people getting after the edit. So, what would your advice be for people who actually are interested in becoming editors? Um, yeah, I, I was at this uh, we had this in-house digital conference, and someone asked me that question, and I, and, and I said, "Read your ass off." And they, <laughs> um, and and, and uh, but I think that is, you know, it's just it it, it is uh, reading like you can't know, you can't have an editorial. Um, sensibility if you don't have an experience all all different kinds of writing mm. and uh, across all different genres you know you can't just be holed up in your you know um, you know uh, English 101 class you know reading the classics you know you need to get out there and read your Dan Browns you know um, you experience the world widely um, you know read what you love as well um, uh, but uh, yeah, becoming an editor is, is you know it's a sensibility that I think editors know that they have you know that you know you might be working in a different industry but you kind of know know that you have that skill and uh, you know people get a um, um, get diplomas and masters in publishing and editing and you know and all those are great things to kind of learn you know the, you know 
you know, the mechanics of how to do the job. But uh, jobs are so rare and, uh, in the industry, and it's really hard to break in. But, um, but I do think there's, there's, there's junior, the editorial assistant roles, um, you know, just, just, just get in-house. And, yes. uh, you know, once you're in-house, uh, you, uh, you know, ideas can come from anywhere, and it's really it's, it's, it's easy to prove yourself. It's not like, yeah, um, yeah, it's easy to prove yourself because you can always put your hand up to a publisher and say, hey, give me something to rate. Yeah. You know, I'll, uh, you know, I want to write some reports for you. I'll, you know, here's here's my thoughts on that manuscript. It's, you know, which I guess is, you know, is coming back to why why I love working in publishing is because these discussions are happening yeah. all around me. And yeah. finally, what's the best thing about your job? Um, the best thing about my job is that yeah, I I I, I read for a living. Um, I think about books for a living. Um, it is a dream job. Wonderful. On that note, thank you so much for your time today, Brandon. Thank you, Valerie. I really appreciate it. Had fun. So there you go, Brandon Vanover. Well, that was fantastic. And I look, as an author who has worked with several different editors now, and um, I remember the first time that my fiction was edited, um, it was kind of scary. Like, it's really difficult to kind of get a grip of it because you're dealing with so many words and you're dealing with um, one person's perspective. You have editorial notes and then you have, you have you know, breakdown on the actual manuscript um, and you're sort of sitting there thinking, where do I start? So having a good relationship with your editor is essential because you need to be able to go back and say, I don't understand what you mean. Yes, here. absolutely. I don't get what I'm, you know, what's wrong with it? <laughs> and sometimes they can explain it really well and you just get it. Yeah. Like I've worked with editors where you just go, oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah. Right, I didn't even get that and now I see it. And I've worked with editors who write three-page, you know, notes, three pages of notes, and I just, it's like another language to me. I'm like, I don't understand what you're saying. Yeah, I don't get what you mean here. And the other thing that is sometimes difficult to get your head around is that a lot of what an editor is putting on your manuscript is a suggestion. It's not a directive. And, you know, when particularly when you're a first-time fiction um, author, the key, the, the key to it is to take what they're saying and have a look at your manuscript and think about, you know, okay, so there's clearly a problem here. Do I like this suggestion? If I don't like this suggestion, what am I going to do instead? Because it is your manuscript. So it's quite different to being edited from nonfiction to fiction. Um, you know, and particularly with, if you're writing for a magazine, you know, if they come back with editorial remarks, you know, you pretty much got to make those changes because that's what they want. Whereas in the with fiction you're in charge of it and so you've got to remember that all the time it's your book because if you start following an editor's words as directive you know you can end up down a rabbit hole of despair when you you know because then your book is half theirs and half yours and it doesn't work at all so um it there is actually if there's an art to being to being edited as much as there is to editing yeah absolutely mm, absolutely interesting but let us move on to our uh, web pick for the week. And our web pick is actually from, um, it's a post from the Writers in the Storm blog. Mm -hmm. And it is the 10 best Scrivener features for writers. Now, I know that we've spoken about Scrivener before, but we often don't go into the detail about why I think it's so good. I know that you don't use Scrivener, Al. No, but, but having read this particular post, I'm starting to wonder why I don't use Scrivener. Because it's actually like a lot of these features are things that I can see would be incredibly useful. I just have to get my head around learning a new 
Oh, it's not that hard, really, because you, you you only learn a little bit, and as time goes on, you learn a little bit more. You don't need to learn it all at once. That's the beauty of it. Mm. As you as you discover that you you can do you know X and Y, then you learn it. So some of the points here that the blog post has made is Scrivener remembers your spot, which is always handy. Yeah. Well, that your, was the thing that I, straight away I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Stru- your structure is easy to see because you build it in sort of these little either on a corkboard or on the folders on the side. Um, saving epiphanies is easy because, you know, you can just write it in a different section, like an epiphany section. The mm. bit that I love, 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 love is colour coding. So I know for each document, whether it's finished, whether it's in progress, whether it's just awaiting a little bit of research that I need to um, put into it or, you know, or whatever, or needs to be edited. So I, I love co- colour coding. It auto saves your work. Mm. And this is the one I love the best. Scrivener is like Hermione Granger's bottomless handbag. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Which says you can import research documents, web pages, links and photos right into your project. So even when you take your laptop on the road, you have everything you need. You can Mm. also import any writing you already started in another program. So if you've already started it in Word, you can just import the Word document over. You don't have to, you know do it all again or, or cut and oh. paste or whatever. It just sucks over. And um, what's great, I think, about Scrivener with, you know, with, with this particular function is you can have a section, say, just on characters and you can put photos of what your character might wear or places they might have coffee or, or if you are creating scenes, you can put Im- images of, um, and web links to places that inspire you for that particular scene. So, yes, that's just my... Um, I think that, um, oh, yes, mm-hmm. one other thing, project targets. Because sometimes if you're, you know, driven by word counts, you can say, I want to achieve X word count by this in this session or during this period, and it will show you on like a, on a bar, a, a, colour, a coloured bar, how far, how close to your target you are. So it's good if you just want to reward See, yourself. See, that, that to me alone is probably worth the price of admission simply for the <laughs> fact that, well, that is one of the things that I like most about NaNoWriMo is that mm. word count, that graph, you know, that shows you how you go. I, I'm, I'm kind of, yeah, I don't know, it's kind of a weird feature of me, but I really, really liked, I like that feeling of progress. And yes. I, so I can see that, that that might be worth it. And okay. reward yourself with a donut at the end. Oh, so are you, you back want... on those donuts? No, do not no, 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 bring no, up no. the donuts. No donuts. So uh, Scrivener costs very little. It's, um, you know, around $40 or, or something like that. So it's mm. it's not a big investment. And mm. if, if you do want a crash course in it, of course, we have a two hours to Scrivener power course by Natasha Lester, who is a power user of Scrivener. And it's been become a very popular course here at the Australian Writer Centre. And if you want to have a look at it, check out writercentre.com.au slash Scrivener. Maybe I need to do, Natasha. I mean, how many times have I said this? Maybe I need to do Natasha's course. But you know, the problem is, Val, is, yes. you know, we often discuss. So currently, I've got about six projects on the go. Yeah. So if I get five minutes to get stuff started, like to do something, I'm going to work on one of those. I never seem to actually find the time to find the two hours to do the course to but get the thing done. a wise, wise woman called Alison Tate once said. Okay. Yep. You make the time, the Alison. Time. You make the time. <laughs> <laughs> Who is that crazy woman? <laughs> Let's not speak to her ever again. <laughs> so, do you mean I have to take my own advice? Is that what yeah, you're saying? Yeah, you do. Oh, God. I hate that. 
But that brings us to the end of our podcast this week. If you have a question you'd like us to answer on the podcast, do email us, podcast at writerscentre.com.au. Where can we find you on social media, Al? Oh, you'll find me at all the places. Um, you <laughs> will find me on Twitter at, at Al Tate. You will find me on Facebook at Alison Tate Writer. And you will find me, at, well, at my blog, of course, at alisontate.com. And you'll find me at Valerie Koo everywhere. Hmm. Uh, you just like so- to say that at the end every time <laughs> just to make me feel bad, don't you? Yeah. And where, um, what are you up to until we speak next? Uh, well, I'm going to be working on all those projects. But you know what I'm doing today? I am writing a plumbing website. Woohoo! I know. Variety like, variety is the spice of life, Valerie. You'll be writing about S-bends and stuff. Uh, yep. P-traps, awesome. all, of, all of the above, yep, all of the above. And so you, what will you be doing? What will I be doing? Um, I'm going to try and take a, you know, wean myself. I did a binge watch on the weekend of season three of Arrow. I think you um, need to share with our listeners. No, no, we don't. No, I think you do. <laughs> no, I think don't. you need to share with our listeners how many episodes of Arrow you watched on the weekend. Bella. I'll just, I'm just going to say that. I watched many and, you know, it's in the interests of research because, as you know, a former interviewee on our podcast, Matt Nabel, we interviewed him about his third novel called Guilt a few weeks ago. Which, let me just say, the um, the Pink Fibro Book Club read and everybody very much enjoyed your um, your selection there, Valerie. It went down a treat. There was a lot of discussion awesome. about it. Yes, awesome. it was great. Very, very good. Uh, yes, so anyway, let's just, we digress. You were what, watching Arrow because? Well, because um, I enjoyed the book as well and I wanted to see, you know, how does one be such an amazing novelist and also be, you know, on a on a hit TV show? So I thought I would watch Arrow. Well, I watched Arrow anyway. I'm a fan of Arrow. So um, at which episode did you spot Matt in? Uh, he's he makes an appearance in one of the, uh, the earlier ones, and then he doesn't um, appear again till a little bit later in the series. Right. So you. I know you're trying. I I know you're trying to get out of me how many episodes I watched on the weekend, <laughs> but I'm not going to say it out loud. <laughs> I think you should. But all right, I'm not going to out you. I've been outed as a word nerd and uh, someone who can't use the word. What was the word? Decimate. So. Decimate. Mm. <laughs> Fine. All right. All right. So that's us. Thanks for listening, everyone, and we'll talk to you again next week. Bye. 